0: Amen. Please be seated. Grab your Bibles, please, and open them up to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 23. Matthew, chapter 23. If you didn't bring a Bible with you today, please grab one from under a seat close by in front of you, Lord willing. We're going to cover a whole chapter in the Bible today. Matthew 23. It's one of those that... uh, that, that, that's difficult, there's no doubt as we go through this, we're going we're gonna to look at a topic that's probably not any, on any one of our lists of, of top, top ten topics to talk about. Certainly if you're going to poll pastors, it's not in their top ten of topics to preach on, that's for sure. <laughs> a word appears 17 times in the New Testament, 13 times in the Gospel of Matthew, seven of those times in the chapter we're going to look at today, and that word is hypocrite hypocrisy. It's, it's one of those things that, again, as, as I was talking with several people about this this week, it, I, it's, it's always part of the process to determine, okay, how far are we going to go this week? Lord, how far do you want to move through this? And I was looking, where, where would you cut chapter 23 in half? Where would we do this? And I took the, adv- the advice of a, a pastor friend of mine, and when you get to situations like that, it's like a Band-Aid. Just tear it off. Get, get through it. Let's, let's go through it. <laughs> Jesus is talking with his disciples, the crowd, the multitudes that are there, but he's been having a discussion with the religious leaders. And we know, as we've talked and we're looking at this, that this is within a couple of days, Jesus is going to be betrayed. He's going to be turned over to his enemies. He's going to be crucified. He's going to die in our place and then rise from the dead three days later. That is all just within a matter of days from the moment that we're looking at right now. And in that, I want to underscore the fact that there's a sense of urgency in what Jesus is saying. And yes, he's going to be calling out a specific group of people. But there's no doubt that the reason that he's saying this within the earshot, the the people that are hearing it, the multitude and the disciples, is the message is for them as well. And I have no doubt that it's recorded for us in Scripture because the message is for us. This wasn't just to a small group of people, a small group of Pharisees 2,000 years ago. Hypocrisy. It is that deceptive attempt to be something that we're not, to put something out there that is not in here. It it comes from the Greek word that, that describes an actor, and back then, the actors wore masks, You've probably seen that when describing you know, Hollywood or whatever, the two masks, one with the smiley face, one with the sad face. That's where this comes from, this whole idea. And the actor would put on a mask so that you would not know who was behind the mask. You would forget who was behind the mask, and the character would be who you see. When we look at actors today, when you go to a movie... You want to see somebody that is portraying that part so well that you don't see that that is Brad Pitt or whoever the actor might be, but it's the character that they're playing, and that comes alive. And that's the idea behind this. It is, it is again, putting something out there that's not from within, a deceptiveness. Hypocrisy is living a duplicitous life. A life that is not genuine, that is not authentic. But the deception in it is that the rest of the, the world around thinks that it is, thinks that it is real. And the deception is, in it is that you think you're getting away with it. And, the, and it's kind of like that whole idea of you know, genuine imitation leather. It, it, <laughs> the appearance of one motive while hiding another. The appearance of, again, a life that's different. And when we look at this today, and again, when we're talking biblically, and we're looking at it from what Jesus is speaking of, we're talking about the appearance of godliness, while a heart that's far from God. As a matter of fact, that's how Jesus defines hypocrisy for us in Mark chapter 7. He said to them, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. A heart that is far from God, or a heart that is divided. James warns against being double-minded, having a divided heart. That literally means a heart that is divided between God and our flesh or in the world. Bottom line, the opposite of hypocrisy is integrity. The word that we get our word "integrity" from is "integer," and if you're a math student, the only reason I know this is teaching my son math now, homeschooling, doing the math. Integer is a whole number, and and that's that's the opposite of this. It's not fractionalized. It's not divided. Our our desire always should be. Having a heart that's united. As a matter of fact, the psalmist said it. Psalm eighty-six, eleven. Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. That should be a prayer for all of us. A prayer continually, Lord, unite my heart, because our hearts can go, get so easily divided. The cares of the world and all of these other things, clamoring for our attention, pulling ourselves away, Lord, unite my heart in fear and respect and honor and love for you. Hypocrisy is deceptive. Deception. Deception is different in lying in that deception is believed. Lie becomes deception when it is bought, when it is believed by the other person. We can deceive others. But I think one of the most dangerous deceptions, one of the most dangerous forms of hypocrisy is self-deception when it comes to hypocrisy. Perhaps you've heard the story of the man who was on a deserted island for 25 years, all by himself, had been alone for 25 years on this island, and when the rescue team finally found him, they showed up on the beach, and he had three houses built along the beachfront there, and they asked him, what are those three houses for? You're here by yourself. He says, well, that's the one that I live in, and that's the one that I go to church in. And he goes, well, what's that third house? He goes, "Oh, that's my old church. I left that a long time ago. It's full of hypocrites. <laughs> Deceiving ourselves. Sometimes the most difficult hypocrisy to discern, it's easy for us to spot ulterior motives and false motives in other people, right? <laughs> while all the while masking our own, or even worse, not even seeing it. And that's, again, where self-deception comes in. I guess I say all of that to say, as we begin this morning in our look at chapter 23 on hypocrisy, because I believe as we go through this, and I believe that this is here for us, all of us individually as we go through this this morning, to take a personal inventory, that we all all look at this. I I don't want any one of you to be thinking, okay, I'm going to get the CD for this person and this person and this person, and oh, it would have been great if they would have been here today, and no, what does God want to say to us? To those of you who are here today and you're saved, you're a born-again believer, let's look at this as a tune-up. You know, Jesus, when he hung and he died on the cross, he said, it is finished. He did not say, I am finished. See, when when we become born-again believers, we are justified. And one day we will stand in his presence glorified, and that's such a done deal with God, he refers to it in the past tense. But there's a process between justification and glorification, and that's sanctification. That's a process we are all in the midst of. So let's look at it that way as believers today. If you're here today and you are not saved, you are not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and the reason for that is because the church is full of hypocrites. It is. It is. But I want you to know something. Though it is full of hypocrites, we all hate hypocrisy. And Jesus hates it most. And that is why he recorded this for us. He cares enough for each and every one of us that he recorded this for us today. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. The truth cannot cannot stand hypocrisy. But he loves us enough to tell us about it, and he's going to define it for us very clearly in many different aspects as we look at this from a lot of different angles this morning. But before we do, let's pray again. (laughs) Lord, would you please feel free this morning to speak to each one of us individually and personally. We're gathered here in a group. We're gathered here together as your family, part of your body here at Calvary Chapel Surprise. But Lord, we invite you to do surgery on us today. Lord, we desire that you would unmask us today. Lord, that you would show us and reveal to us even those areas, those hidden areas in our lives that we need to deal with so that we can be closer to you We can be more effective for you. We can be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, Jesus, as I mentioned, has been in an exchange with the religious leaders. Here in verse 1 of chapter 23, it says, Then... Jesus spoke to the crowds and his disciples, so he turns his attention away from the Pharisees for a moment, and he turns to the multitude that's there and his disciples, and he said, the scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all that they tell you to do, observe and do do not do according to their deeds. For they say things and do not do them. Here we see first, hypocrisy talks the talk, but it doesn't walk the walk. It talks a good game, it puts out there a good game, but it doesn't walk it itself. It puts puts things on other people, but then it doesn't do it themselves. Jesus speaking here again to the crowd, pointing to the scribes and Pharisees, and notice first he says that they, they seat themselves in the seat of Moses. They have a position of authority within the church, and he's not questioning that. As a matter of fact, he even talks about the fact that they are, they are in the seat of Moses. They have the law of Moses. They study it. They know it. They teach it. And that's not, he's not questioning it. As a matter of fact, notice he says, therefore, in verse 3, because this is the case, there's something that you need to do. As the multitude, as the hearers, you need to do what they say. Now, we need to understand what Jesus is clearly saying here. And the way that it is written in the original language, it's very clear. Jesus is saying, you do what they say when and only when they are expounding the law of Moses. When they are telling you and teaching you the word of God. Not when they got off into their own opinions. Not when they get all into man-made rules and the pharisaical traditions. That is not what Jesus is saying. He says, because they... Have the word, and they are sharing that. Do what they say. And that applies to all of us today. It's not enough to just hear the word of God. It's not enough to just come here on Sundays and to hear the word of God. It's not enough to open your Bibles every day and read it. It's not enough to just memorize the word of God. We must do what it says. James tells us, James chapter 1, prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves a friend of mine once told me that his favorite translation of the Bible is the doer's translation. I like that. The one that we do, the one that we walk out. I hope that none of you came here this morning to hear what I had to say. If you did, don't ever do that again. <laughs> I hope all of you came to hear what the Word of God says. There's power in the Word of God. There's, I have I, I have nothing. I have nothing. The word of God is where it all is. But notice the other part of this. Again, the the walking the walk piece. How sad is it that he says, do what they tell you, not what you see them doing. How sad is that? Yet that runs rampant everywhere, even still today. Telling somebody to do something, yet living a life totally different. Hypocrisy. Parents. Parents. Do as I say, not as I do. Shame on us as parents if we say that. We need to be living examples, not only in the home, but in the church and in the world. Paul says this, Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. Interesting the way he puts that. Observe, look, see, and follow the example that others have. Observe it. Not what they're saying, but how they're walking. And the pattern, and that's the key. The difference between what Jesus said to these people about the Pharisees, don't follow them, it's because of the pattern they were following. Paul says, follow these people because of the pattern they're following. What pattern is that? That would be important to understand. Well, Paul clears that up for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. We follow those who follow Christ. And we need to be those that others will follow as we follow Christ. Again, understanding that he is truth. And there can be no hypocrisy in us for that. Verse 4. They tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. Here we see hypocrisy complicates and weighs down. We've talked many times about the fact that the, the Pharisees took the law... And, and added all sorts of man-made regulations to it, added all sorts, of, the Sabbath, for instance, volumes and volumes and volumes of, of books and things written on the, on the different ways to make sure you don't break the Sabbath, so to do this, do this, do this, do this, don't do that, do that, do that, do that on and on and on and on and on and on, so complicated, weighing down with these incredible burdens. You've been to Israel, you know. If you haven't, know this. On on the Sabbath, on Saturday, don't get on the Sabbath elevator. It stops at every floor going up, stops at every floor coming down. Why? Because you break the Sabbath if you push that button to tell what floor you want to get off on. That type of thing. Hypocrisy weighs down. The truth simplifies. It doesn't make it easier, (laughs) but it simplifies. The truth hurts. But Jesus simplified it all down, did he not? And taken all of the volumes and the volumes and the volumes, and he said, enough of that. Let's take the word, the law, the prophets, and let's sum it all up. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. On these two things hang all the law and the prophets. He simplified it up for us. Granted, there's 66 books that tell us how to walk in that, but the simple truth is we take care of those two things, everything else falls in line hypocrisy complicates, the truth simplifies. And when we walk in the truth, when we, when we do what, what we are called to do, we have a peace that you can't get anywhere else, we have, we have a joy that you can't get anywhere else, and we have something else that you can't get anywhere else that hypocrisy can never bring, and that is rest. Jesus said, "'Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, "'and I will give you rest.'" Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Verse 5 But they do all their deeds to be noticed by men, for they broaden their phylacteries and lengthen the tassels of their garments. Hypocrisy loves to be recognized, it craves attention. They do what they do to be seen by men, to be recognized by men, to be held in high esteem by man. Now, he uses a couple of things, terms here that we might not be familiar with. Broaden their phylacteries. What does that mean? Well, the phylactery was, was, a, was a small box that they put a copy of the law in that was to remind them of the law. And it's told to uh, in, in, in the Old Testament that they were to do that. And you'll still see it. Again, if you go to Israel, you'll see it in Israel. You'll see it even on the flights going over and coming back. Orthodox Jews will tie on their arms these leather bands that have a box or around their head that have a box while they're praying. Jesus is not speaking out against that practice. What he's saying is he's talking about the guys who were wearing shoe boxes on their heads so that everybody says, Hey, look how holy I am. He wasn't speaking out against the tassels on the garment. Jesus had them himself. Remember the, the woman who had the bleeding issue? She reached out and she touched him. And when she reached out in faith and touched the tassel on his garment, what he's talking about here, she was healed. That's not the problem. The problem is theirs were a lot longer than everybody else's, a lot brighter in color than everybody else's, because, again, it was to draw attention to themselves. One of the things I'd prescribe for you as homework, if you'd like it, is to read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, after today. And you see the contrast. Here Jesus is telling us, this is hypocrisy, don't do it. There he's saying, this is how you follow me, do do this. And in chapter 6, he talks about this hypocrisy, these same Pharisees, the hypocrisy in ways that they did things, whether it was giving, praying, fasting. He said that they did it so that other people would see. They prayed loud and long and all of this stuff so that people would think, oh man, you are so holy. Listen to your prayers. They would give in such a manner that everyone would see their giving. They'd ring bells before they gave so that people would see them giving. They fasted and they made their face look gaunt and all this sort of stuff. So people would say, oh my goodness, you're so holy. Jesus said, beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. If you do things to be noticed by people, if they notice you, lap it up, because that's your reward. That's all you get. (laughs) But Jesus goes on to say, those things that you do in secret with the right heart, the Father sees that, sees those things that you've done secretly, and he will reward you. Verse 6, they love the place of honor at banquets, and the chief seats in the synagogues, and respectful greetings in the marketplace, and being called rabbi by men. But do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, and you are all brothers. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. Do not be called leaders, for one is your leader, that is Christ." Here we see that not only does hypocrisy love to be recognized hypocrisy loves titles hypocrisy craves distinction and notice in the, it's it's important in the word that he uses here in verse 8 but drawing a direct contrast to this hypocrisy loves the title loves the distinction but you're to be different but you're not to call anyone teacher father leader now Let's understand again what Jesus is not saying. He's not saying that you can't learn anything from anybody else. Don't call anybody teacher because you can't learn anything. That's not what he's saying. He's not, he's not speaking out against learning from others or teaching others. The, if that were the case, we wouldn't have the New Testament because all of those were, were teachers given the word of God. The, God breathed the word to them, and they recorded it for us. And Paul speaks the gift, the gift of teaching. It's actually a gift of the Holy Spirit that's given. That's not what Jesus is speaking of. We all have a duty and a responsibility, every one of us, that the truth that we receive, we are to pass on to others. That's called discipleship. We are all to be continually learning and continually pouring out into others. He says, nobody, call nobody father. He's not speaking of biological parents. I am blessed beyond what I could possibly tell you, by my earthly father. I, there's nothing wrong with calling him father. He is my father, my earthly father. I don't, it's, this, Jesus isn't saying this afternoon, your son comes up to you and says, hey, father, you say, no, 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 son, that's a sin. Call me dad. <laughs> it's not the point. He's not speaking out against leadership and leadership within the church because we see later on in the word that... that Paul told Timothy and Titus to appoint elders in the church and leadership for structure. I mean, God's not a God of chaos, He's a God of order. So he's not saying, he's not speaking against that. What is he speaking against? He's speaking against the distinctions, he's speaking against the elevated positions and offices that, that have run rampant throughout any type of religion. And here specifically pointing to these Pharisees who had this attitude of superiority when they were speaking to the rank and file. And unfortunately, that's continued to this day. It's continued to this day, and it continues in some form or another, even in our hearts if we're not careful, that we want to be elevated, that we want to be recognized, that we want to be noticed a little bit more, held in a little higher esteem than others. The key to this that Jesus tells us is, the key is you are all Brothers, when we stand before the throne of God, we are all equal. Every one of us, sinners saved by grace. There's no hierarchy. We have one Heavenly Father. That's the point that Jesus is saying. He contrasts this, if you see in verse 11, but the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. Again, there's that word, but. It's a distinction. It's saying this is different. In religion, it's all about hierarchy, but you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven? You serve one another. You don't place yourself above anyone else. You place yourself below them. You place their needs above your own. You serve them. I get asked a lot, and I'm still uncomfortable with it. I still, after seven years, still uncomfortable with the whole idea of Pastor Brett, just letting you know. And I get asked a lot, what do you want, What what should I call you? Well, for 48 years, Brett's worked great, so... And I understand, because I've had this discussion now after two services, <laughs> that, well, I can't call you anything but Pastor Brad. It's out of respect. It's, out of, it's like, uh, yeah, okay, so what do I call you out of respect? <laughs> I, I'm no different than you. Pastor Brad's no different than you. Pastor Alan's no, Pastor Tony. We're no different than you. We've been given a tremendous responsibility but our responsibility is to serve you. I'm, okay, enough said, right? Okay, we're good. Verse 13. Verses 13 through 33. Jesus now is going to turn his attention back to the Pharisees, and we're going to see eight woes that he pronounces upon them. Interesting, there's eight Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount. You can do that study on your own. He straight out calls them hypocrites. He's not He's not pulling any punches here. But I want to, before we move on to the the first one and we look at it, it's important we understand woe. What does that mean? It doesn't mean stop. (laughs) Woe here means it's a verdict. It is a judgment that is coming. But understand the heart behind it. It is, it's, a, it's a complicated word. It's a complicated statement that's being made by Jesus. There is judgment that is coming upon them because of their actions. But it's coming from a heart, from a judge that is compassionate and loving. He regrets this. He's not like, man, it's been three years. You guys have been on my back. I've been waiting for this day. No, it's a heart that says it breaks for them. Verse 13, first... But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people, for you do not enter yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Here we see that hypocrites change the message for their own gain, regardless of the ultimate outcome. They they don't they don't teach the truth. They don't teach the whole truth because in that it would shut off it would shut off them from coming to them and shift them to God. We see this running again still everywhere today and it's it's spreading unfortunately throughout the quote unquote church where where pastors, teachers, people getting up front won't talk about sin, won't talk about hell, won't talk about blood, won't talk about repentance. Why? Because that might offend somebody and they might not come back next week. It's going. It, it runs everywhere. There are messages, you can watch message after message after message from certain pastors of mega churches and you will not hear one mention of redemption. Not one mention of the fact that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and we deserve nothing but hell. Eternal punishment. But God demonstrates his own love towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Why won't they say that? Because again, it's offensive to some. Well, I'm sorry if I offend anyone here today, but I don't want you to be happy going to hell. And that's, that's, that's the bottom line. I'd be a hypocrite if I didn't tell you. Paul, Paul simplified, simplified it right down to this when he said to the Corinthians, For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the message. That's always the message. It'll never be anything different than that message. It can't be. If it is, you may as well go to a health and wealth seminar. trying to be culturally relevant or seeker-sensitive. It's the truth. Billy Graham, I I find this fascinating. Billy Graham, when he was asked, if you could do one thing different, if you could go back to the beginning of your ministry and do one thing different, what would it be? You know what his answer was? He said, I'd preach the cross more. Billy Graham said that. Amen. (laughs) Verse 14 Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense you make long prayers, therefore you will receive greater condemnation. Hypocrites not only change the message, but they take advantage of those who are listening. Instead of feeding the flock the truth, they're fleecing the flock. They have you know, this, this great spiritual show that's going on, but all the while asking for money. All the while, every five or ten minutes, we need your money, we need your money, we need your money. Let me tell you something. If people are telling you they need your money, watch out. Because I'll let let you in on something. God doesn't need your money. When When we take an offering here, that is simply giving you an opportunity to worship through your giving. God says He loves a cheerful giver. And again, it's not, it's not because he needs the money, it is because it is his desire to allow us to be a part of the ministry and the work that he's doing. If somebody is continually saying, we need your money or our ministry is going to go down the tubes, you know what? Let it go. <laughs> there, God told Moses to build the tabernacle and he said, tell the people to give. Tell the people to give the, uh, of their belongings for the temple, for the, for the work that I'm doing. God, God, This was God-commanded. you know what Moses had to do? He had to tell the people, stop giving. When's the last time you saw that? <laughs> I already have my mansion. I already have my jet. I already have my you know, condos every, around the world. Stop giving. Okay, maybe we went too far with that. Okay. <laughs> Bottom line, been around Calvary at all, you know this. Pastor Chuck said it first, I believe, but where God guides, God provides. If God's in it, not going to be begging for money. Anyway, verse 15, that's where we are, right? Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Again, not pulling any punches. Hypocrites reproduce their own kind. Hypocrites make more hypocrites. They're even worse and more fruitless than those that start. Verse 16, Woe to you blind guides who say, Whoever swears by the temple, that is nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple is obligated. You fools and blind men, Which is more important, the gold or the temple that sanctified the gold? And whoever swears by the altar, that is nothing. But whoever swears by the offering on it, he is obligated. You blind men. Which is more important, the offering or the altar that sanctifies the offering? Therefore, whoever swears by the altar swears both by the altar and the offering and everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears both by the temple and by him who dwells within it. And whoever swears by heaven swears both by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. Here we see hypocrites look for loopholes. They look for ways to cloak their hypocrisy. They look for for ways to mask their dishonesty. I like the words that Jesus uses here. He He changes it up a little bit. You blind guides. That's a bad combination. I... I've never taken a tour down and back up in the Grand Canyon, but if I do, I don't want a blind guide. (laughs) You fools, verse 17. That's interesting, that word fool, the biblical word that's used, it's translated in the Septuagint and Proverbs in Greek, speaks of a person who doesn't receive instruction. But that's not the word that's used here. The word that's used here is the Greek word moros, which is where we get our word moron. (laughs) You moron. And blind man, what is more important? Again, what Jesus is saying here, it's ridiculous. It's pathetic. That you somehow think that because of the way you phrase something, it's gonna change the fact that God's not gonna see your heart behind it. That if you... Promise something this way, or you pray for something this way, that somehow that's going to carry more weight? God's not going to be able to see right through all of that? It's a heart issue. Jesus again addresses this in the Sermon on the Mount. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for that it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is the footstool of his feet or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond these is of evil. Bottom line is, everything that comes out of our mouth should be truthful. Everything that comes out of our mouth should be filled with integrity, honesty, trustworthiness. I've heard it said, and I know you have too, that people say that that, that there's no such thing as a dumb question. I beg to differ. Top of the list for me, can I be honest with you? That's a dumb question. (laughs) No, lie to me, please. If somebody ever says to you, I swear to God I'm not lying, be ready for what's coming next. Probably not the truth. Honesty. Integrity. Now, we live in a fallen world. We live in a world full of liars, full of people who want to take advantage of others. So, Jesus isn't saying, don't ever sign a contract, don't ever sign a promissory note. I mean, those are all things that are necessary because of the world that we live in. It would be great if we didn't have to, but we do. And the Bible doesn't forbid vows as such. When we get married, we make vows to our spouse and before God. You get called to testify in a court of law. I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Nothing wrong with that. But please understand, and Jesus speaking to this again, to the hypocrite. The hypocrite looking for loopholes. The hypocrite's looking for ways to be dishonest and somehow skirting the system. That again, it's about integrity. And God is a witness of everything that we say. And not only what we say, but the heart behind what we say. There's no such thing as a white lie all dishonest. Verse 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Gotta love his sense of humor. He draws in this almost an exaggerated example, a couple of them, but to make a very real point. That hypocrites major in the minors and ignore the important things. That they get all caught up in the minute details about things and making sure this is done just this way and this is done just that way and making sure everybody's in step with this particular thing and when we get offline and we focus on those minor things, the non-essentials, and we make them the most important things, and the things that all we talk about, it's all we look at, it's all we discuss, it's all we do, that's what causes division. That's what causes the body of Christ to be so torn apart. That's what causes the problems. That's what, that's what causes and, and, and leads to all of the issues. I mean, we look at this again. Jesus gives us these two examples, and again... They're exaggerated, but to make a point. He says, you tithe your mint, your dill, and your cumin. What does that mean? Well, they didn't have sprouts back then. They couldn't just run down to the the health food store and buy these spices and stuff. They had to grow their own. So they would grow them, and so then they would sit there and they'd take their dill seeds and they'd go, nine for me, one for God. Nine for me, one for God. And being meticulous about that. Now, Jesus is not saying, don't do that. He's not coming against what they're doing. He's coming against what they're not doing. They're making a big deal about this, saying that this is where their godliness is. They're missing the weightier things, as he puts it here, justice, mercy, faithfulness, and it all comes back to love. Again, Jesus told us, we just heard it a couple of weeks ago when we were in this. Jesus said the greatest commandments. It all hangs on this. We just a few minutes ago said it again. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. All the rest of it hangs on this. The problem is we look at what's hanging and forget what it's hanging on. We get all legalistic about praying and fasting and reading your Bible and all of this kind of stuff and forget what it's hanging on. Warning. Warning. I'm about to take something out of context and misquote it. So I don't want you to... Saying, Brett did it. I did it. I'm just telling you. But I think, maybe help us remember the point behind this. Seek ye first the kingdom things, and everything else will fall in line. You want to know how much you should be giving at church? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. You'll know. You, know, you want to know how much you should be involved and plugged in in these certain places and what Bible studies you should be going to? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor and your, as yourself. You'll know. You want to know what ministry to get involved in. You want to know what all of this other kind of stuff. You want to know if you should be fasting, when you should be fasting. Don't let anybody give you a guilt trip on that. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself and you'll know. Don't major in the minors. Focus on what's important. Verse 25. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean out the outside of the cup and the dish, but the inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and of the dish, so that the outside of it may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Hypocrisy, hypocrites worry about outward appearance, neglecting the inward change, the inward transformation that God desires in all of us. Hypocrites are more concerned with their reputation, what people see on the outside than their character, which is what God sees on the inside. He gives again an example, and we can look at this exaggerated, but I think again, that's the point. Which one of us in here today would go into a place and in a restaurant and say, you don't have to worry about giving me a cup that's that's been cleaned on the inside? Just wash the outside real quick and give that to me. Nobody. None of us would wash the outside, have dinner. Go, we go home, we have dinner today, and we clean the outside of the bowl, and we stick it back on the shelf. That, it's silly. But that's what Jesus is saying. That's, that's, how, that's how ludicrous it is to focus on the external appearance when it's the inside that's what's, where the change is needed. The whitewashed tombs. They would all understand, again, what was being spoken of there. We might not whitewashed tombs, it was a way of identifying a tomb because to a Jewish person, if you stepped on a grave, you were considered ceremonially unclean and you could not go to the temple for several days. And they're on their way to the Passover, so they wanted to make sure they got nowhere close to a tomb or a grave so they would whitewash them. They'd paint them white on the outside and make them look all beautiful and stand out, but inside still full of death and decay. And again, that's Jesus' point. If we don't wash the inside of a cup, it might look good on the outside, but on the inside it's full of bacteria. I guess bottom line again, it comes down to reputation, what the world sees on the outside versus character, what God sees on the inside. And no amount of great reputation can make up for godless character. The inside, notice he says the inside needs to be clean so that the outside will be clean also. Inside first, outside follows. Verse 29, "'Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, "'for you build the tombs of the prophets "'and adorn the monuments of the righteous "'and say, if we had been living in the days of our fathers, "'we would not have been partners with them "'in shedding the blood of the prophets. "'So you testify against yourselves.'" that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of the guilt of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How will you escape the sentence of hell? Therefore, behold, I am sending you prophets and wise men and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city, so that... Upon you may fall the guilt of all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of the righteous, from the blood of righteous Abel, to the blood of Zachariah, son of Berechiah, who you murdered between the temple and the altar. Truly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Here we see, lastly, hypocrites magnify sin in others in order to minimize their own. They. Look at the sins of other people and, and elevate those and make a bigger deal out of that in order to somehow make themselves feel better about their own sinfulness. Specifically here, he's pointing to these Pharisees who say, if we were alive at the time of our, our fathers, we would have never killed those prophets. We love those prophets. As a matter of fact, we love them so much, we're going to build monuments to them. We would have never done that. We would have never been involved in that. And Jesus said, just your, the, the fact that you're, <laughs> that you're vocalizing that and you're, you're bringing that out, you're testifying against yourself. So often in the heart of a hypocrite, and we have to be so careful, because I think in all of us, this is an area that is easily to, easy to slip into, that we, we don't realize the radical nature of obedience to God and what that means. And we lessen it by looking at others and saying, well, at least I'm not that bad. We bring God down to, closer to our level and elevate ourselves more up to his, and God doesn't grade on a curve. It's not, you know, I have to be better than that person over there. No, we're called to be Holy. Again, Jesus in this, i not pulling any punches. Serpents, brood of vipers. Those aren't terms of endearment, by the way. <laughs> but he's, he's taken the gloves off again to bring the seriousness of it. Hypocrisy is venomous. It is poisonous. And they look at this, and again, in this, we could never do that. We wouldn't have been a part of that. Pride says, well, I never. I would never. I could never. Pride says, I. I. Pride has an I problem. I love Jesus. And if I'd have been there in the garden, I wouldn't have betrayed him. There's no way. I would have stayed with him. I can't believe those disciples ran away. That's what Peter said. He would. He wouldn't either. Man, if I was in the Garden of Eden, I wouldn't have eaten that fruit. Be careful if that's what your heart is because notice, Jesus says, Behold, I am sending you. I said, we would have never killed the prophets. He goes, oh yeah, behold, I'm sending you prophets and you're going to kill them. Just to prove their hypocrisy. Pride says, I would never. Pride says, I could never. Humility says, God, I don't know the half of what I'm capable of. I don't I I can't even begin to know how sinful I would be if it wasn't for you. Pride says, Let me take that speck out of your eye. Humility says, Let me take the log out of my own first, Lord. And then if you desire to use me to help take the speck out of my brother's eye. Well, we finish chapter 23, verse 34, or I'm sorry, 37. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. For I say to you, from now on, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. These, these three verses we're going to kind of use as a jumping off point next week as we get into chapter 4, 24. It really helps us transition into that. I think it's a good place, though, too, to land as we come off of this message today. So how you feeling? It's kind of tough, huh? It's tough if we really prayed what we prayed at the beginning with a heart that says, "Lord, search me and show me." It's it's hard to 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 pick up a mirror and to to look at it closely. Because if we're honest, all of us all of us deal with with hypocrisy in in in, in some way or another. I. I how many of us would want every thought, everything that we said, everything that we did this week to be shown to everybody in here? <laughs> yeah, that's good timing. <laughs> screens just went off. Yeah, yeah. We all have to be careful of that. You know, we, the, Jesus told a parable of the, of the Pharisee who was in the, in the temple, right? And he was praying. And he said, God, I thank you that I am not like that sinner over there. Remember that? Well, we have to be careful that we don't get into that mindset that says, God, I thank you that I'm not like those Pharisees. Because there is that Pharisee in all of us, that tendency in all of us to be something different, to portray something different than something that we're really dealing with in our, in our hearts. And it's okay to be there. Praise the Lord that he cared enough to record this for us so that we can take this mirror, as painful as it is at times, we can take this mirror and we can look at it and we can say, God, take the mask off of my hypocrisy. Take it off again. Those masks that even, even I've gotten comfortable with that I don't even know are there anymore. Praise the Lord he cared enough to record it for us, but praise the Lord that he loved us enough to redeem us. That he loved us enough to step off his throne in heaven and to come down into a world full of hypocrites. To live a perfect, sinless life. He who knew no sin, he who could not know hypocrisy, became for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him, that we might be men and women of integrity in Him. If you're here today and you're a believer. And the Lord's doing a work in your heart, showing you some things that you need to deal with. It's not a matter of how grievous it might be or how little it might be. It needs to be dealt with. Ask anybody who has cancer. It doesn't matter how big it starts, right? The mass, we want to deal with it no matter where it is, big or small. We want to deal with it right now. So if the Lord's dealing with you, if the Lord's speaking to your heart about something, an area of your life that is, that, that is not genuine, that needs to be cut away, he's doing that because he loves you. He's doing that because he knows what it'll do to you, it'll do to others, and what it is doing to keep you separated from all that you can be in him. His desire for us is to live this life that is beyond anything that we could imagine. And those things get in the way. So let's deal with those now. And it's not—he's he, not waiting to beat us up. We just simply need to come to the feet of Jesus and let him take it. Let it, it just wash it away. We're not—not not getting saved again. It's getting our feet washed. Maybe you're—you're you're here today, and you've been—you're—you're you're a believer, but you really have walked away. I mean, you got. You got masks that nobody has any idea of. Tired of them? You can get rid of them today. There's no formula other than throwing them down at the feet of Jesus. If you're here today and you're not a believer, you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. If you've used the word the excuse that the church is just full of hypocrites, you're right. It is. But again, Jesus hates the hypocrisy and he died to cleanse it all. And he died to cleanse it all for you too. But I would point you back to the verses that we finished with where Jesus said, how long? How long have I longed? How long have I desired to gather you together, you gather you into my arms and to wash away your sins? To make you whole. To give you the life that you would ask for if you had enough sense to ask for it. To give you eternal life. To know that your sins are forgiven and if you died today you would spend eternity in his presence forever. He says to you, how long I would, but you were unwilling. Will you be willing today? Willing to answer The call as he extends it to you again. Don't harden your hearts. Respond to his call today. Let's pray.